Hey everyone, I'm Stu G, and welcome to the Beatitudes Project, where we find inspiration in the surprising and subversive words of Jesus at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and discover the invitations of hope and divine presence for right now in the uncertainty and craziness of life. I'm here once again with my fantastic friend, Brian Miller. Hey everyone, so glad to be here with you together again and with you, Stu. So good. So I'm excited today, Brian, because we're going to be chatting about blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So we'll get going in a minute, but first, listen to this. The sounds you were hearing there are from my trips to the Holy Land, uh, which is just an amazing experience to go there and, and experience that. And and in the Beatitudes Project, we based the whole of the Peacemakers chapter and film and conversations in the Holy Land. And we'll get into that in a minute. But um, Brian, blessed are the Peacemakers. I, I, I don't think there's been a more poignant time for us to be talking about this. I agree, Steve. It's such a... Uh, pivotal time uh, in our history and what's what we see in the world. And if uh, the call to be a peacemaker rings out um, more true in my heart uh, in these days than it has in days past. And uh, it's an invitation to us today, just like it was 2,000 years ago, uh, to engage in being a peacemaker, not simply a, a peace wisher or a peace talker, but actually be a peacemaker as God is a peacemaker. Yeah, that's right. I, I think it's it's worth saying that we are currently having a conversation in different parts of the country because we're we're right in the middle of the COVID nineteen stay at home policies and uh, a moment and season. Yeah, the world feels a little turned upside down right now, doesn't it? And yeah, thinking it does. about when life 
the thing about when life doesn't go according to your script. Yeah. Uh, my wife, Mandy, and I were just talking the other night as we were FaceTiming some friends. It's like, man, you remember remember the good old days, like four weeks ago, right before everything was turned upside down. Uh, and in the middle of this upside down world, um, the message of the Beatitudes rings out true, that there's the pronouncement of God's presence. So yeah. even right now we're separated by miles and looking on computer screens. Uh, I'm thankful that we're able to have this conversation uh, and it's the truth that we do have a God who is present with us. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then from the message, you're blessed when you show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. So I guess what we're doing is we're just talking about like what does it look like to be peacemakers and and there's there's two things going on really isn't there there's like the peacemakers that are in the middle of conflict how do we kind of choose a way that is not fight or flight where we respond with violence or that we just run away like how can we be present and and find a, another way to go in those situations and I, and and then the other thing is the idea of inner peace, you know, um, you know, I like the the reference in the the Hebrew word shalom because it kind of implies not just the absence of conflict, but a situation where everything is as it should be, like where everything is in its right place and where nothing is broken and where nothing is missing, like a wholeness. I, I love that, Stu, and it it. Um as we're reflecting back again on Jesus making these pronouncements 2,000 years ago, we see him ushering in, right, new creation. And we see Jesus uh, really revealing, if we can, a new way to be human. This is what it looks like uh, when love comes to town, right? Right. This is what yeah. it looks like when God shows up in the flesh and begins to set the world to rights and to make all things new again. Well, may it be so. Amen. I think that some of the underlying foundation of being a peacemaker and the call to peacemaking, it's rooted in the reality that God himself is a peacemaker. He's the God of all peace. He's the God who's working to bring peace to every heart, to bring peace to every soul. In fact, to bring peace and restoration to all of creation. That reminds me of something that my friend Todd Dethridge says. Uh, he's a uh... A peacemaker. He runs a, a an organization called the Telos Group, which is who I've done my trips to the Holy Land with. Uh, but he talks about peacemakers are like they they operate in this kind of countercultural way where they kind of accept the invitation to join God in the in the upside down renewing and restoration of the world. Beautiful. I love that. And it, you're hitting on a beautiful thing there. The God who is is the peacemaker and extends an invitation uh, to us to participate in his peacemaking. And that's such a gift uh, and a responsibility at the same time. Yeah. So I, th I guess, you know, some people might look at what we've done in the in the project and say, well, why did you kind of base it in the Holy Land um, and right in the middle of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Well, um, it kind of goes back to 2013 for me. I was invited to go and play at this inaugural festival called Bethlehem Live 
in uh, Bethlehem. And um, while I was there, I was invited to go on this this other trip with something called the Telos Group. It kind of blew my mind. You know, I thought I was going there for a pilgrimage, um, going to see all the holy sites and and have this time of contemplation and meditation. You know, the classic thing of like walking where Jesus walked. But what I was struck with, I ended up having all these conversations with Israeli and Palestinian peacemakers, like people who have lost children to the conflict or have lost their homes, you know, people who had families lost in the genocide, in the, in the Holocaust. And so this crazy kind of mix of of stories and reality in that place. And it, it blew my mind. And so, you know, this idea of like, how do we be a peacemaker? I thought, well, there's no more poignant place perhaps to discover what peacemaking looks like right in the middle of this conflict. And I think that many of us, certainly in the church in the West, you know, we have this inherent sort of uh, bias perhaps towards the Israeli story and that's not necessarily our fault, so it's just what we're hearing about, like on the TVs and in, the, in our news and from the pulpits. Uh, but what's happening there is that we're not hearing the narrative of the other side. And, you know, going back to that first episode, you know, what does it mean to listen? Sometimes we need to put what we think we know of a situation down and we need to listen to all sides of the story. That's beautiful, Stu. And, and as you've shared uh, in the book and in the film, right? These are stories of real people and the stories are uh, incredibly hard and difficult. Yeah. And uh, as as you say in the, in the film, learning to put a human face on your enemy. Yeah. Because we see that the God who is the God of peace is working for the good of all people. That's right. And uh, it makes me think of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, right? You've heard it uh, said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I think we look no more like our Father than when we're peacemaking with those that we might consider an enemy. Well, that's, that's amazing. Um, that, that also reminds me of something that Todd says, which is that, you know, practical way of what peacemaking looks like. You know, we, we hear the words, love your neighbor and love your enemy. But Todd puts it this way, I'm a peacemaker when I want for my neighbor what I want for myself. And that to me brings up like just real practical things, you know, that I want my enemy to have success. You know, I want them to, what I mean by that is not in defeating me, <laughs> but, um, in terms of, you know, successful living, you know, and, 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 and fulfillment in living and, you know, being able to earn a decent wage and put bread on the table. And does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a powerful way of thinking about it as, uh, as a human being and as a husband and as a father of three, I have things that I want and pray for and work towards and believe God for, for my children and to think of that, I want for my enemy what I want for myself. I want for yes. their children the things I want for my children. Stu, that's yes. so powerful and so challenging. And, you know, peacemaking is not the absence of conflict, right? So, um, you know, we talk about fight or flight, 
I can't remember if this was Walter Wink or or someone else, but they talk about the myth of redemptive violence. You know, the idea that okay, so if someone hits me, if I hit them back, that you know, it's that eye for an eye thing. You know, it's, it equalizes it out. You know, but what happens in conflict is that you know, and we see this all the time that someone, like in the Middle East, for instance, you know, that someone might attack an embassy, you know, and then the they respond by taking out 10 targets, you know, and it just escalates all the time. We have this incredible example by looking at the life of Jesus, don't we? You know, it's Mm. like we can take stories from the Bible and justify war and violence, you know, for days, can't we? But in the example of Jesus, you know, Jesus is what God is like. And so when he's saying, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, I think we need to listen, don't we? Absolutely right. Um, it says, uh, Thomas Torrance would say, there's no God behind the back of Jesus. Uh, to use Jesus' own words from the Gospel of John, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So to your point, Stu, you're right on. What, what does it look like when God comes face to face with the violence of humanity? He submits to it on a cross. Right, he humbles himself. Yeah. He is self-giving for the sake of others, uh, and could we be the same? Right. Yeah, I think that's the invitation. So, in the Holy Land, Israel have built these uh, security walls. It gives us a great picture there of what it means to be a peacemaker. Where, you know, for us, we all have our contested spaces. You know whether that be the West Bank or whether that be, you know, the frosty space in between us in our marriage or something, right? And, you know, to be a peacemaker means to walk from behind your security wall and into that contested space. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of conflict. It just means that we risk walking into that space and saying, we can do something better. We can do something different here. That that was one of my takeaways from that region, amongst all the amazing stories that I that I heard from people that I met. So I'll talk about a couple of people if that's okay. But I yeah. met th- this amazing woman, Israeli woman called Robbie Damlin, and Robbie lost her son David to a Palestinian sniper. You know, like that. I, those words come off the tongue so easily because you know I've heard the story so many times, but. That is an absolutely gut-wrenching and shocking thing to have happened to anyone, you know? And when the when the 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 army came to her her house to tell her, she just said, You must not take another life in the name of my child. So her gut reaction was that she didn't want revenge. It's almost like the the loss was was big enough. So when I met Robbie, I also met my Palestinian friend, Bassam Aramin. He lost his 10-year-old daughter to a Israeli rubber bullet. You know, you just can't imagine that kind of loss and that kind of grief. But Robbie and Bassam are part of something called the Parent Circle. It's all these people that have lost children to the conflict. And they have decided that reconciliation is what is needed and not revenge. And so they're heroes to me. That's so powerful and so uh, challenging and so painful and beautiful all at the same time. 
Um, and whatever peacemaking looks like, uh, we need more of it in the world. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful picture of it. And I think whatever peacemaking looks like in each of our worlds, uh, it looks like God. Right. And it looks like love. Yeah. And um, we've all been shaped by pain uh, to one degree or another. Uh, and if we're honest, most of us would want a pain-free life, uh, but the reality is that doesn't exist. Yeah. We live in a world that is full of pain. We've been shaped uh, by pain and we're continuing to be shaped by pain. And I think the invitation is to um, see the pain of other people and to refuse hate and to refuse to be an enemy, uh, but to instead uh, freely give the love and grace and mercy that we have freely received. Yeah. So hard, isn't it? So hard. You make me so mad I want to throw a stone You make me so sad I want to hide away alone Can you meet me in the middle Where the light don't shine um, So one of the things that Robbie and Bassam are involved in is these kind of blood drives where um, Israelis and Palestinians are, are given blood uh, for the for the medical work, you know. And uh, but the idea is that if you've got my blood in you, um, then I'm not going to kill you. Wow. You know. And and there are many more stories from from the parent circle. Uh, but the big takeaway for me is that these people have lost so much to conflict. You know, they've lost so much to violence. And yet their response is, we've had enough violence. The violence has to stop, that it's pointless and it's not going to bring our children back. And we have to forge another way forward, you know. Another person that I met is a, a, a guy called Daoud, and he's a Palestinian farmer on this, this land where his family have owned it for about 100 years. Like they, they have deeds and paperwork to this land right back to the Ottoman Empire, right? And so um, it's in the West Bank, just outside of Bethlehem. And, you know, there are Israeli settlements around this hillside where his farm is, and they kind of like want the whole land. And so they're trying to make it difficult for Dowd to be a farmer and his family to live on this land. And, and so they've cut all the utilities off to the farm. And so... It's just very difficult um, for Dowd to to live on the land that his family own and to be a farmer. But he's probably the most peace-filled person that I've sat down and chatted to. And uh, the w one thing he said to me was, you know, Stu, he said, um, we can't begin to offer peace as a solution until we've received it as a gift on the inside. In saying that, he gave me some language to something that happened to me. So... The first time I went to the Holy Land and went to Bethlehem was in 2013, you know, and as you know, you know, Delirious finished in 2009 and that kind of like gap in between there, like 2009 to 2013, I was kind of like just trying, just scrambling for 
like what's next and doing my best, you know, and making some some mistakes and, and feeling really bad about some of that stuff. But in Bethlehem, you know, I was just kind of, one of the reasons I went on that trip was to to be able to kind of meditate and contemplate on life, you know. There was a conflict going on inside of me. And one day I remember walking down the the, the bazaar, the, the shops and stalls in Bethlehem down Star Street and uh, walking across Manger Square and just kind of taking it all in. Like, it's just an extraordinary place. And wandered into the Church of the Nativity where, you know, normally there's just hundreds of people waiting to get down into this kind of cave area, which is where tradition says that Jesus was born. And for whatever reason, in this moment, there wasn't anyone waiting to go down. And so, you know, I went down there and I was able to spend like 10 or 15 minutes just in this place. And it didn't matter to me whether that was the actual place where Jesus was born. It was more like a significant moment in somewhere that wasn't going to be very far away (laughs) from that place, you know. But it was like my story and my journey kind of came to that point and I was just kind of meditating and praying, I guess, you know, in this place where you were born, come alive again on the inside of me, you know. And there wasn't a flash of lightning and angels appearing and, you know, uh, stuff like that. But like I got up from that moment and took a step. And, you know, what Dowd said to me in terms of we need to receive peace as a gift on the inside before we can offer it as a solution, it gave me the language of like, well, that was my first step into receiving peace on the inside. And I look back on that as a, as a real life-changing moment. Yeah, Stu, that's uh, so beautiful and, and so powerful. And I love, uh, I love that focus of receiving uh, peace on the inside before we can give it. Um, and that is part of the God who is the peacemaking God, right? He he has made peace with us. Colossians would tell us that. So there is an objective peace that God has made. And then there's the invitation of what we could call, right, subjective peace, like our lived experience of that peace. Um, and that's yeah. a day-by-day, moment-by-moment invitation, right, that we are invited to yeah. continue to live in. Yeah. yeah. And something else that my uh, friend Todd Dethridge says when he talks about hope He talks about that hope is not some form of optimism, but that hope is what you do. So, you know, like I didn't necessarily know what I was doing in terms of getting up from that moment and taking a step to leave that place. But what I did was took a step towards, you know, hope, towards peace. You know, I guess, you know, we talk about if the blessing is presence, then the invitation is to be present. You know, it's like there's a there's a response that we need to take sometimes to to be changers, to be peacemakers, to be, you know, world changers. Absolutely. And uh, as you were saying that, um, the invitation and the gift of hope um, can also coexist in the middle of doubt. Right, like the two aren't right. antithetical. Like uh, doubting is part of the human experience, and I think it was George MacDonald who talked about um, that we may be haunted by doubts, uh, but thereby actually grow more assured of our faith. He said, "Doubts are uh, the messengers of the living one to the honest." 
Right? If we're honest yeah. with ourselves, we doubt and we question because we live in a world full of pain. But those doubts are actually messengers, whispers from God to remind us to look to, to Him, to remind us to find security in Him. And again, as we freely receive from Him, then the invitation to freely give. Wow. Yeah. I don't feel like I've done a great job of of talking up the Telos group and the the trips that I've done with them, but you know they are a pro 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 peacemaking movement. So pro Israeli, pro Palestinian, pro peace. The trips that that you go on with them are like a strange pilgrimage <laughs> of sorts. You know, it's kind of you you see the sites, you you have those chances to to meditate and be in those places, but at the same time you meet. Uh, peacemakers and you learn about the conflict and learn about what it means to be a peacemaker because you know how our friends do it in a violent hotspot is how we do it in our own lives you know you know in terms of uh, risk risking everything you know walking from behind our security onto the contested ground and saying we can find another way other than this this constant tit for tat stuff that we do you know I, I love that. And um, thinking of the call um, to be peacemakers, like peacemakers uh, are people who don't live in fear. Like you see Jesus saying that over and over again, don't be afraid. It's interesting. He never says don't feel afraid, right? Because we're humans. We might feel fear, but don't live in fear. Don't be afraid. Um, and when we have that subjective peace with God, then we can live not from a place of fear, but from a place of uh, love. Yes. Um, so just going back to something that we referenced earlier, which is this idea of putting a human face on your enemy. Uh, so one of my trips there, I met this lady called Roni. She's an Israeli, Roni Kaidar, And her and her husband are, are farmers, but right on the Gaza border. And so... You know, the, the situation in Gaza is incredibly complicated and very hard. So hard for the 1.8 million people who live in that 25-mile strip of land. You know, they're, they're trapped in there, basically. And so, so one of the only ways that, that people leave Gaza is for medical attention. And so what Roni does is she... Um, she drives to the border every week and she picks up someone 
who needs to go to the hospital. So for an hour, they're in a car together and she can get to know them as a human being, you know, because she knows that if she puts a human face on who potentially is her enemy, that it actually makes a difference to how you how you interact, you know. And, and this is someone who has suffered under the rockets that come out of Gaza and land on her farm and kill the people that are like family to her, you know, the people that work on her farm. So, you know, it's people like that that like choose this this different way that are so inspiring to me. Yeah, Steve, it's so inspiring and challenging to me as well and so countercultural, right? Yeah. And such an embodiment of the gospel right. uh, of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. Like when Jesus came on the scene, uh, you know, vast majority of the people he spent time with were the marginalized and the oppressed and the poor and, uh, you know, a 10 to 15% rate of literacy, right? But yet these are the people that he's coming and walking in the, on the dusty roads with and, and proclaiming uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God breaking into their lives. Incredible. And what an invitation uh, to do the same. Yeah. We have to talk about this moment we're in right now because, like, how do we find peace in a situation where we can't put a human face on our enemy, right? So uh, Mm -hmm. we are in a situation right now where um, there's a virus going around the world and, you know, the next few weeks in America here is going to uh, be very difficult for us all. A lot of us are stuck at home. So how do we find peace in that? Yeah, it's a unique challenge for us today. Not unique in the scope of human history, but unique for our experience and what we've lived in the past uh, few decades. And yeah, how do we act in hopeful ways given our context, right? And hope is not just a form of optimism, but actually living in ways that are are hopeful and hope giving, uh, yeah. Right as as you ask in the book and in the film, how can we be an everyday peacemaker? Yes. So right now today, how can we be a peacemaker? Yeah, and I guess I'm like I'm asking that question all the time because as you know, this this disease is a uh, respiratory disease. I have a history of asthma. I don't have chronic asthma, but in the past, like suffered with that. And you can be a little bit fearful, can't you? I see a lot of talk about, especially from church folks, you know, do not fear, faith over fear, you know, and stuff like that, where, uh, and I'm not belittling that because I believe that too, but uh, sometimes a little fear is a healthy thing, isn't it? Absolutely. I think there's a difference between feeling fear and actually living in fear. And and there's a difference between considering the best for others. Yes. Part of, part of being quarantined maybe isn't, I'm so much afraid of myself, but I'm considering the interests of others as more important than my interests right now. Yes. 
Yeah, that's like um, wanting for your neighbor what you want for yourself, right? Which is, in our situation right now, is to stay healthy. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Wanting the best yeah. uh, for them, exactly what you would want for yourself. And in our house, one of our daughters is um, kind of immunocompromised, has really significantly and chronically low white blood cell count. So we've been really vigilant um, and have been having you know, groceries delivered and sanitizing them outside and, and a lot of extra effort and extra resources expended at that. But it's because we're trying to um, consider uh, her interests and her needs. And so in the midst of that, we're not going out and having a lot of interaction uh, with people. But even just last night in our community, um, uh, there was uh, an invitation to um, celebrate and thank all the healthcare professionals by lighting candles and putting them outside, right? Yes. So we we did that, and our youngest daughter, who's 12, was a, a little artist and a painter, and she painted this beautiful sign, you know, thank you to the healthcare heroes. And we had it set out with candles, and I have no idea if anybody drove by. Um, I hope somebody saw it, uh, and we you know put yeah. it on social media and everything, but there was a simple small way that we could try to affirm others and try to be hope givers in the midst of a difficult situation. That's fantastic. That's that's really inspiring actually. Like so do you think that that peacemaking is an act of not being selfish? Do you th- feel like that it is self-giving as opposed to, you know, we talk about receiving peace? But do we receive it by not thinking about ourselves all the time? I think that's exactly right. It's it's limiting yourself for the good of other people. Oof. Yeah, that's great. So how could we encourage folks who perhaps are listening to this in the middle of having to be isolated from other people? Maybe there's some uncertainty about income, you know, about jobs. And we're really concerned for ourselves. You know, how would we encourage someone, do you think? That's a great question, Stu, and it is the reality. I just read a statistic yesterday that they're anticipating one in three restaurants in Michigan, where I live, will not survive and will have to shut down uh, because of this. So somewhere in the ballpark of 200,000 people without jobs, jobs that won't come back after we kind of make it through this time. So how can we engage as as peacemakers, as those who are self-giving and other-centered on behalf of people who are facing loss? Uh, I think it's a, a great question and one that we really need to be mindful of today and in the days to come. I think as individuals and even as faith communities, what can we do and how can we reach out? It's an opportunity and as simple as encouragement I think goes a long way because when people are feeling isolated, we see like an increase in depression and we see an increase in suicidal thoughts and suicidal activity when people are feeling isolated. I think there's a reason why solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments we can give to people, right? So even just making connections with our neighbors is where you know, again, on house quarantine, but we're encouraged to, to walk and to get outside a little bit. So we'll walk the neighborhood. And we've had so many conversations uh, with neighbors that we've never met before, but they're out walking and 
you know, we're maintaining our social distancing, but just to be able to yeah. to talk and get to know their names and hear a little bit of their story and just encourage them at their situation. It's a real simple, but real tangible thing that we can do right now. And then yeah. as we have opportunity with resources, maybe there's some people that we could actually uh, give to uh, resources in terms of finances or, um, you know, connections for job opportunities in the future. Yeah. That's that's really good. I think something we say a lot in the Beatitudes project is that when life doesn't follow your instructions and we want a quick fix and we want answers and certainty, what we're offered is presence. So the, the question is, you know, where is God in the middle of this pandemic and this season that the whole world is in? And the answer to that is he's with those who are suffering. He's with those who are isolated. He's with those who are dying. This idea of co-suffering love, and that's the blessing and the invitation, right? Absolutely, yeah. Where Where is God? He's, as you said, with the person who's isolated right now. He's with the family member who just lost someone. He's with uh, the, the employee who just found out they don't have a job anymore. He's right there with us in the middle of our human experience and his heart is breaking along with ours. And as you said, his presence uh, is with each and every one of us. Yeah, so good. So George MacDonald wrote this and said, Christ died to save us, not from suffering, but from ourselves, not from injustice or far less from justice, but from being unjust. He died that we might live as he lived. And I think that's really as a peacemaker, one who was self-giving yeah. and other-centered. Wow, that's, that's strong. Amazing, Brian. So should we talk a little bit about like what are some of the things we can do to be present to ourselves and to others in this, in this time? So this idea of being present to ourselves uh, is so important. And I think that's where we encounter the living God right now in the day-to-day. As C.S. Lewis famously said, the fingerprint of God is in the present. So it's in this moment that we can know God. It's in this moment we can be transformed by the love of God. And the God who is the peacemaking God is the God of all peace. And he's wanting to bring more wholeness to us as individuals and more healing to us as individuals which ultimately brings more harmony between us as human beings. And I think of something I've been learning is that wholeness and healing are both incremental processes, right? The journey of a million miles begins with one step. And so often I thought, I just want to get there now, right? I want to, can I just like fast, you know, fast pace this whole wholeness thing? And God walks with us incrementally, step by step, because he wants our participation in it. He wants us to walk with him because as we walk with him, we begin to know his nature and his character as a God who is good and a God who's involved. So it's an incremental process that we get to journey with him because our choices matter. And he wants us to choose day by day to to walk with him into more wholeness and more healing. So good. And so maybe in the days to come, we can, as we're isolated, focus on that prayer. Lord, would you bring more wholeness and more healing 
in my heart that I might live in more harmony with other people, that I could be self-giving and other-centered. Just as Jesus, you who are the Prince of Peace, with your advent, angels announced peace on earth and goodwill to all men on whom God's favor rests. So Jesus, may our hearts be filled with shalom, with the multifaceted wholeness that you want to bring to us, and may we overflow with that wholeness to the world around us. It's good. Thanks so much, Brian. That's really beautiful. And thanks, everyone, for listening. On the next episode, we're going to be looking at blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness and justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We hope that you're enjoying these conversations. If so, please would you share or subscribe or leave a review on the platform you're listening to. That would be amazing and it really helps us. This podcast is mixed by Dylan Seals of HDAudioPost.com and is part of a much bigger conversation. So we invite you to take a look at thebeatitudesproject.com to see all our resources. See you next time.